Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing all right. Glad to see everybody here today. Uh, to let you know uh, some things that are coming up here in the future really quick, even for the, those of you who are online as well. Uh, on October the 4th, <clears throat> on October the 4th, we will be offering a children's Bible hour that will run for the whole hour. So you will drop off your kids as if you were coming to Bible class. And these are for three-year-olds through third grade. So it's a little bigger than King's Kids, what we have in the past, but it's three-year-olds through third grade. And now we will be in, uh, the kids will be in there doing their thing. And uh, we'll be in here. So just to let you know that. We're also expecting bigger crowds. We're, we're kind of getting social distance out of this space. So on October the 4th, we will be doing two live services at 9.30. And you say, how in the world is that possible? We will be having the fellowship hall, a live worship in there. And we'll be having a live worship in here. And then in the fellowship hall, we will have one song, and I've done this before, so don't think I'm crazy. We've done this before. I've done this before, and it works out pretty well. We'll have one song, and I will preach in there. And then you will have more worship and communion in the fellowship hall to end that service. After I'm through preaching in there, I will run in here <laughs> and literally run. And I will preach in here again. And so that is two services at the same time. That way we can either be in there or in here. You get the same feel, same thing. Uh, we'll have different song leaders. Austin will be in here and different song leaders in there. And we're still working on the logistics of that. But just to let you know, that's what's coming October the 4th. Okay? October the 4th. That's our, our day for that to happen and day to put that into place. So just be looking forward to that. And especially you that are on home, at home too, just know that we are having children's Bible hour that runs for the whole service from 9.30 to 10.30 or however long the preacher goes, whatever that is. Uh, I don't know, how many of you know what the rumble strips are on the road? You know what the rumble stripes, strips, whatever you call them right there? Okay, so most of us know what the rumble strips are. And, and uh, those rumble strips there are there for what reason? They're there to help protect you from what? A collision, right? Now, in Texas, they actually have them in the, on the side of the road, but they also have them in the middle of the road, too, in many of their places. So that even if you go left or even if you go right, you're going to hit those rumble strips. It's going to remind you. How many of you are thankful for the rumble strips in your life? Okay? There have been times when, you know, you've been driving and you may have been a distracted driver. There's not anybody that actually uses their phone in the car, do they? Okay, so glad you're all people who don't do that. And so, uh, but you think about that, you think about distracted driving. And I think about people who need those rumble strips in their lives. We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 today. Matthew 5, verse 20. 
And we've been looking at this over the past few weeks. We've been looking at uh, abolishing or fulfill. We looked at that in verses 17 through 20. And then we looked at last week the greatest and the least in the kingdom of God. And now we're going to look at, today we're going to look at what righteousness looks like in Christ's kingdom. For you that may be here for the very first time, we're actually looking at the Sermon on the Mount and going through this and this righteousness that God has given us here and what He expects of us in His kingdom, what God expects of us in His kingdom. Now look at this verse, this verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Now, this is Jesus speaking, speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to us, and he's saying, unless your righteousness exceeds, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes back in those days, those scribes, the scribes were like our theologians, they're like our college professors. That's who we'd, we would consider the scribes of our days. That would be kind of equal to what those scribes were back then. They were the, the theologians of the day. They were the, the college professors. And sometimes, you know, there's times when I call up one of my college professors and I say, hey, listen, can you help me out with this or this or that? Why? Because I know that that's what they study. They do that all the time. And then you had the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees would be like your preachers, your elders, your teachers, those that you look up to that are in leadership roles at a church. Those would be your Pharisees of today. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus has run-ins with the scribes and the Pharisees all the time. He does. And he says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected, get this, the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why were they called hypocrites? See, the Pharisees, in many ways, were like many of us. If you don't think sometimes that you're a Pharisee, I look at my life and there's been times when I go, man, that was so pharisaical of, what I, of me. And so... Many times I've been a Pharisee in uh, my life. Now, the Pharisees, now understand this. Understand, let me give you a little history real quick, okay? So, the synagogues didn't even come into being until probably the, the 400 years after Babylonian captivity, after everybody came back to Jerusalem, after the second temple was built. During all that time, all that time and during that 400 years, the the 
the Jews decided, the Israelites decided, we've got, we don't want to do this again. We don't want to go into captivity again. So we're going to put these, these basically synagogues, training centers of teaching God's Word in place all over the place so that everybody will know what God's law is all about. And so they did that. And when you went to school, everybody went to school learning the law of God. And when you were five years old, you started to school, and you went from five to ten, and at ten years old, you memorized God's Word, especially those first five books of the law, from five to ten. Then at ten years old, usually the girls went home, okay, back in their day, okay? And then from 11-year-old to 15-year-old, about those four years there, you had the guys continuing to memorize all of the rest of the Bible, all the prophets. They memorized it. This was an ongoing thing of memorizing the Word of God. Then at 15, at 15, they, they were told, either you can go and be, you've got enough skills to be a person of being with a rabbi, or you need to go home and be about your father's business. So they went home. Many of them went home. There's only 1%, 1% of the people that actually turned out to be rabbi material, that actually memorized the whole Bible, that actually had that thought process. So the Pharisees, because they didn't want to go back into captivity, they didn't want to go back into captivity, they actually put rumble strips, rumble strips around, around the law. Okay, I'm going to illustrate this another way. Austin, if you'll come up here. Stand over here if you don't mind. Austin and I are in close contact every day, so it's okay. All right. Okay, so let's, let's, let's consider this the law, okay? This is the law. This is the law. And what the Pharisees did is they added things to the law. Not real tell, but okay, you understand, you understand where we're going at. I thought you were going to, okay, so. And they would add things and they would continue adding things. It's going to get harder, okay? And they would continue adding things because they didn't want you to get too close. They didn't want you to get too, you know, they wanted to make sure that you didn't do anything wrong. So let's add more things to it. Let's just add more things. Let's add what you're supposed to eat and not eat. Let's add what you're supposed to wear and not wear. Let's add if you're going to actually... Let's add something if you have to wash your hands before you have a meal because that was something that wasn't said. Let's add something about how you're going to worship. Let's add... Some, and you, can, you get the picture, right? That... For many of them, this was a burden to actually carry all of these things around that they were supposed to do that had nothing to do with the law, except it was the rumble strips. It was to protect you from going left or going right. They were there to say, we're going to add these to the road. We're going to add these to your life so that if you don't do them, you're not really one of us. You're not really one of us. Okay, you can lay that down if you want to or somewhere. Just leave it there. And don't anybody get these. I didn't get them out. This is my home stuff, so please, don't take my food. 
okay? And what Jesus says, Jesus says this in Matthew 15, verse 8. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus calls these people hypocrites. Why does he call them hypocrites? Hypocrites, if you don't know the word, the hypocrites is just a word for an actor. It's for someone that wore a mask back then, that put something on. And so what you saw on the outside was different than what was going on on the inside. Do you know anybody like that? That they're two people. They're this to everybody else, but on the inside, there's something totally different. And that could be us. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And the question I have for you this morning, another qu question I have for you is, is, where's your heart? Because what Jesus wants more than anything else through this whole study of this Sermon on the Mount, what he wants more than anything else for all of us is he wants your heart. And many of us, many of us, in our lives at one point or another, have hidden, hidden, we hide and try to hide what's going on in our hearts from everybody else. We don't want anybody to see what's in there. We don't want anybody to probe the depths of our hearts. And I can tell you something. Your spouse knows what's going on in your heart. Your children can see it too. And it comes out usually when you're in stress. It comes out in those moments where there's selfishness and arrogance that show up in those moments. Everybody kind of looks and goes, it's uncharacteristic. And what Jesus wants us for, many, for more than anything else is an outward expression. Our, the, the, this was the Pharisees thing. You know, I know you'll have to go back one slide, Greg, but outward expression of righteousness, but they lack that inward transformation. That was what was wrong with the Pharisees. There was an outward expression of righteousness, but they liked an inward transformation of the heart, an inward transformation of the heart. How many of us, how many of us, how many of us, you and me, my, me included, how many of us have times in our lives when it's this outward expression, but our hearts need transformation? See, that's what the Sermon on the Mount does. The Sermon on the Mount hits a square right in the heart, and he asks us to deal with it. Jesus asks us to deal with this. The Pharisees were masters of hypocrisy, masters of hypocrisy. And what Jesus said in that passage there is, he says, unless your righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, is what is righteousness? What's righteousness? Jesus comes and says, righteousness, it's not just an external expression, it's something that's going on in your heart. 
Now look at this verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Huh. That was last week's lesson, least to the greatest. Hmm. Declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Brothers and sisters, righteousness, get this, righteousness must invade our heart and our minds. But it can't be, listen, it can't be your righteousness. It can't be your righteousness. In other words, I can't say, this is what's right for me. Therefore, it feels good. Therefore, it must be right for me. My righteousness, your righteousness has a, a guide. Someone that says, this is what it's supposed to be. That righteousness is who? It's from where? It's from God. It's from Him. Righteousness must invade our hearts and our minds. Verse 7 of chapter 24 of Jeremiah says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. With their whole heart. Okay. I can tell you that the next six to eight weeks are going to be hard. I told you this last week. Let me give you a for instance. This is kind of the lesson, a little bit of the lesson next week. Not totally, but let me give it a little bit. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not murder. And I look at that and I go, well, good. I, I haven't murdered anybody. I really haven't. Have, have anybody in here murdered somebody? Anybody? Okay, now here's the question. How many of you have thought about murdering somebody? Okay, come on. How many of you have thought about murdering someone? You get to a point where you look at them and you go, I want you dead. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we've done to people. And there that is in our hearts and in our minds. And even though we haven't done the act, there are times in our hearts that we have that anger, that we have that ability, that we lash out to people, and usually it's the ones that we love the most that we actually lash out to in that way. We murder them, not physically, not physically, not physically, but we murder them. You say, but it's not my fault I'm that mad. mad. I don't care whose fault it is. Jesus, Jesus wants us to have a heart for him, striving to look 
like him. Jesus is helping us understand the way of righteousness, and this way of righteousness is God's way, what he wants us to do, what he wants us and how he wants us to live. There are the hearts in this audience today that are filled with anger. Jesus is going to address that in the coming weeks. There are hearts in here that are filled with lust. And Jesus is going to address that in the coming weeks. And there's hearts in here that are this close to ending a marriage. And God's going to deal with that, and Jesus is going to deal with that in the coming weeks. And all our secrets and all our passions and all of our desires, he's going to deal with which we're unwilling to relinquish. Which we're unwilling to relinquish. We're unwilling to give it up. Why? Because we want what we want. We want what we want. So, self-righteousness. Let's talk about this self-righteousness. And I, I did this verse. I did this verse. Go ahead and put the verse up, uh, Greg. I did this verse back uh, some time ago when we did another at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Romans 10, verses 1 through 3. Now, now I've, this, is, this is James Wall interpretation here, okay? So, this is, this is, I've personalized this. So, let me read it instead of it, like, to you, okay? Brothers, our heart's desire here at Lycoma, our heart's desires, elders, ministers, and our prayer for you, Is to for God to to God for you is that you may be saved. For we bear witness, we bear witness that each of you have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, in seeking to establish one's own righteousness, many have not submitted to God's righteousness. It's interesting when you put scriptures in the Bible, like this passage, and you make it personal to you, how it really affects you differently in that. Let me say this, let me say this, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of heaven that we have here on this earth, this kingdom of heaven that has come down from heaven and is here with us now, Jesus Christ, this kingdom of heaven that we have, this kingdom of heaven, listen, listen, everybody, it's a place of grace. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of forgiveness. And I need you to remember that. I need you to remember that. I've told you many, many times, it's okay to not be okay. That's who we are here. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. 
God wants us to grow. God wants us to mature. God wants us to change. God wants us to endure with him. God wants us to look like his son, Jesus. He wants us to look like him. Which means, which means, when it comes to this righteousness stuff, when it comes to what does righteousness look like, I can give you a song, just a little title of a song, None of Self in All of Thee. When it comes right down to righteousness, and whose righteousness is, is right, it's none of self and what? All of God. All of Him. And yet, many times we're self-centered. Many times we are egotistical. Many times we're proud. Many times we are selfish. In God's kingdom, there's love. In, God king, in God's kingdom, there's mercy and forgiveness. In God's kingdom, there's grace for other people. And here's the thing about, here's the thing about righteousness. God has given you and I a gift. A gift. It's a gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that gift is so important to us. Am I going to live for him? Am I not going to live for him? Am I going to make Christ my righteousness? Look at this next verse, because this came right after this. This is verse 4 of the same thing I just read to you. Look at this. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. If you want to look for the law, if you want to know what righteousness is, if you want to understand that, Paul says, you look to whom? You look to Christ. He is the end of the law for righteousness. Why? Because when I look at Jesus' life, who do, what do I see? I see a righteous, pure life. And so, therefore, I want to be like Him. I want to live my life like Him. I want to do like Him. So, therefore, righteousness is Jesus. Righteousness is Jesus. And I understand this, too, that I... God gives me that righteousness because I am not righteous. But he gives it to me as a gift. Jesus, in Acts 4, verses 11 through 12, it says, Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. Salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven among men by which men must be saved. I got a weird question right here. Here's a weird question. Could I take just the words of Jesus, just, just the red letter words, could I take just the words of Jesus and just do them and be considered a righteous individual? Yes? No? Trick question. See, I can't do righteousness. It's bestowed upon me as a gift. What it's going to take for us to live in righteousness is to 
abide in Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through whom? Through Jesus, right? All of us, we all come through righteousness. We only get to God through Jesus. That's what Jesus said. And he said this, but seek first God's what? Kingdom and his what? Righteousness. And all these things shall be added into you. All these things shall be added into you. When we do what? When we seek first God and seek first his righteousness. In 1 John 2, verse 28 and 29, it says, And now, little children, and now, Lake Homa, Lake Homa, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at his coming. If we know that he is righteous, we may, sure, we may be sure that everyone who practices, listen, listen, this is so important, who practices righteousness has been born of him. Do you get that? Did you listen to that? How many of you have practiced an instrument all your life? Would you say that in that practice, you are perfect every time you play? No. But why do you get better and better and better after practicing? Because you're continuing to do the same thing over and over and over, doing it in the right way, in the right way, whether you're playing football, whether you're playing an instrument, whatever you're doing. I love that word practicing because it means that I'm never complete, but I am practicing. I am striving toward that. And what God wants more from, any, from all of us is to practice that righteousness. In other words, I practice looking like Christ every day. It's what you get up to think about. It's what we get up every day and we go, I'm going to practice Jesus today in my life. Sounds like a great plan. Let's just practice Jesus with those people we meet, those people we know, those people we love, those people we don't love. Let's practice righteousness with those people too. Let's practice Jesus. So that, so that. We won't shrink away from him in what? Shame. Shame. Brothers and sisters, shame is a great burden to carry. It's a great burden to carry. And Jesus says this, and I end with this, and you can put on your mask if you don't mind. I end with this. Jesus says, come to me, all you, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take me upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. If you're struggling in your walk with God, if you're struggling in your life, if you're struggling with how you're living right now, and you feel that shame or that burden, we've got elders that are at the back that we'd be more than happy to pray with you. There's the men standing up right now that are going to the back. 
And if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, given your life to him in baptism, raised to walk in this newness of life that he talks about in Romans 6 that Paul does, having those sins washed away, then do that today and say, I want that for my life. Whatever you need is, would you come as together we stand?